0: Oh my gosh! We are to another Wednesday already. It's crazy. It is. But here we are. And I'm so excited to kick off our part two of what we're talking about today. And before we do, this is Rachel Vote hanging out here with my best friend, Jesse Anderson. Hello, hello. And tell them where
1: they can find you. Photoswithanderson.com or on Facebook. And you can search for my super private group, Boudoir Photos with Anderson, if you want to get some sexy time on.
0: <laughs>
1: I like it. Uh, and, uh, of course, tomorrow is Thursday, which means it is
0: cooking in Chef Tone's kitchen. This is so cute, guys, because he messaged me yesterday, and he's like, just so you know, broccoli salad edged out the winner. Which means he went to my Facebook that he doesn't even have and counted up the votes. That's funny. And I just want to add that I told him I would, so I don't know why he did that, but I just thought that was awesome. He's so excited. I guess, I guess, which is really exciting. So broccoli salad tomorrow. It is not healthy by any way, shape, or form. It's delicious, though, but we've done healthy like five weeks in a row, so we're going going to change it up a little bit. So make sure to tune in 7 o'clock Central, uh, 730, 730 Central, something like that. It's one of those two. Yeah. I'll I'll know better tomorrow, but it's okay, because all you got to do is go and share it, and then you get your chance to win it for free. Uh, that's been so much fun, delivering food to people and uh, getting pictures back, not only from the ladies that are eating and, yum, like, yummying it. That's what I was going to say. Yumming it all up. But then, like, one of the girls that won two weeks ago just sent me a picture that she made an at-home salad, and I was just like, that's awesome. So I love that you guys are getting something from it and, you know, just expanding your options into it doesn't have to be everything, but maybe a healthier meal, like meal from time to time. That's, I believe, how it starts, in all honesty. So tune into that. Beginner's Guide to Wellness is happening. So if you need space, safe space for personal development, it is 100% free to be a part of it. That's still growing, which is really cool and awesome. Um, and Sexual Wellness and Intimacy Building, if you need a safe space to learn about that, great group and the VIP page. You got to be 18 years or older to be a part of that though. And we have an online party happening next Thursday. So if you need a personal invite, make sure to let me know because we'll get you added in there. You can see all the fun stuff. <laughs> all right. So as I mentioned today, we're going to be talking about our second part of the series, how to have the best sex of your life. Last week, which I recommend tuning into episode number 20 of the podcast, we really dug into the ideas, thoughts, and values that you'll have around sex and most likely that you don't really know or understand. So we talked a lot about how to deal dive into that and discover and then to kind of slowly rewire your brain Um, but that's kind of as we'll, we'll continue to talk about that today and the second portion of that what we wanted to kind of start talking about in this podcast is remembering your first experiences because they play a very very large part in the second portion. The first portion again is the subconscious track the autopilot mind that you have, that basically is, does this feel good? Why doesn't this feel good? All that kind of stuff that you're nitpicking, um, but your experiences obviously, I think, play a huge role in then how that's all executed. Oh yeah, it's your first experience, so it's what it's what you quote unquote learn to do, and for most people or not to. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Th- I was gonna say that, but then I kind of was thinking in my brain. But even when I first started in any experience I had with intimacy. Even if I didn't want to or I didn't like it, I still I, I did it because I thought that was what it was supposed to be. Mm. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I yeah. Can see that?
0: Yeah. So, um I think there's obviously personal experiences that you're involved in, whether this was like holding hands with a boy or making out with a boy or a girl or whoever you're into. Dude, if you were into women back then, good for you. <laughs> Save yourself some drama. But anyway, um, I think this also extends out into TVs and movies yeah, and sitcoms or whatever you're watching. Like, I argue constantly with my 12-year-old today more than ever about, I don't want Olivia to watch that. I don't want to, like, I will have to go out and check three times why we are filming this podcast to make sure that they are not watching, like, Fanboy and Chum Chum or <laughs> something. And he just doesn't get it. Why? It's just a cartoon. It doesn't matter if it's a cartoon. Like, the underlying message that you beat up people and that's funny or whatever, like, I, I wouldn't have thought about that either even when he was a kid. I didn't oh, yeah. like think as much about the stuff that he was watching and luckily he was still you know like watching Nick Jr. type TV shows but it wasn't long that he was coming home watching superhero shows or any of that stuff that's still dare... humor. I was just gonna say well that and dare I say still not age appropriate. Like yeah. there's so much stuff out there that kids watch that well, you that's... just don't think twice about it but well, yeah. it, you should be fight. watching it.
1: That's a fight that I have with Brett sometimes because I'm very much so like being the soon-to-be stepmom, super excited about that, nah. um, I sometimes feel like I don't have room to tell him what's appropriate and not appropriate to watch with his children, who right. are currently five years old and eight years old, and the five-year-old tells him to his face, out loud, you watch scary things. I don't want to watch that. And so I then feel like when he, when Brett wants to watch, you know, it with his eight-year-old who cries and almost poops his pants because it, he was so scared... I feel like I am just left to go watch princess movies with his daughter mm-hmm. because they're more age appropriate. Mm-hmm. But it's not just scary things. It's, you know, watching like Deadpool. Funny, yes, great date night movie, not appropriate right. for your eight-year-old and your five-year-old. Right. Not appropriate to what to me, the Simpsons are not appropriate for eight year olds and five year olds. I agree. And he he fights me on that all the time. He's like, oh it's just it's just a cartoon. It's, it's just the just Simpsons. Is and what I'm like, the, yeah. but they cover so many things that I don't feel is appropriate for a five-year-old to repeat at preschool. Or, like, or just thinking
0: about how Bart Simpson acts. Yeah. Like, (laughs) he's one of the most popular characters. Yes. And so they see that that's how children behave. Mm -hmm. And granted, you know, you got Lisa, who's really well-behaved, and, like, I mean, we're talking about a cartoon, like, this is real life right now. But it... But it's the point. That's the whole point.
1: Children literally do nothing but mimic what they see. Right. Whether it's their parents or content, social media, or, or TVs and movies... And that's what I have problem with is just, I remember my mom, my own mom putting up a stink about it. Cause my youngest brother is 12 years younger than I am. So when I, w- when he was like six years old was r- around the time that I was moving out of the house. Mm-hmm. But my mom had a problem with family guy and we only, uh, watched, we my only, parents wouldn't let me watch that either. Yeah, we only watched family guy like once a week, maybe because on Saturdays. Because the rest of the week, my mom would just be like, nope, it's inappropriate. Nope, it's inappropriate. I don't want you watching it because you're, I don't want your brother watching it. And I could not wrap my head around it then. I was like, it's just a dumb cartoon. Mm-hmm. But now looking back at it, and I'm like, I learned so much crap. Yep. Just not useful information, not beneficial information. Crap. Right. From sitting in front of the TV watching those kinds of shows. And I granted, they are funny and they are adult humor for adults. And I don't mind that Brett watches those kinds of things when the kids aren't around. But I will I will get up and turn the TV off if, yeah. if he refuses to. And that makes me bad cop because the kids are so used to watching The Simpsons around him or The Simpsons movie yeah. that anytime we're trying to pick out something to watch as a family, they get mad at me. And I'm just like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if I you're know. not watching it. Their mom, this is like, that's one of, I think one of those things that being the stepmom, Brett, my lovely fiance. He hates it because that's one thing that I agree with with his, with his ex-wife, is that she and I don't mean to, but I think he feels like we're ganging up on him about certain things. Mm-hmm. And he, that's why he just immediately pushes back. Like, he doesn't want to listen to reason. But it's just one of those things that, like, I don't care. Like, Well, and this is quite,
0: quite cool that we can talk about this because... As a lot of the viewers know, I dated your, your fiance. Mm -hmm. And in the third grade, which is obviously much younger than Cole, but I can remember very vividly, like hanging out with Brett, we were watching Ace Ventura, yeah, which we shouldn't have been, but we didn't know better. And our parents probably didn't care. I, I think, I mean, I, I never blame my parents. I do. I always go back to, they did the best they could with what they had. And I don't think like you just, people have to remember that television wasn't that big. Mm -hmm. in the the 70s like it was still really new and you only had one you only had limited channels so as we got into the 80s and 90s like children were 100% raised off of a screen and parents I mean not only did you have to you have to think about like prior in the 60s 70s and whatever when tv it was much more wholesome much more clean it was the beavers it was all of that stuff and then now there's so much crap out there that nobody nobody knows what anybody else is watching because we're all watching something so bizarre and different and very niche into mm-hmm. a subject that that's how much content you have out available. So I don't think that my parents had any idea the amount of stuff Same. that I was influenced by when I was watching that stuff. but. When you had said that, like, you'll go and watch princess movies with Rory, we had briefly talked about this before, but that's, that's another thing to consider, right? Like, as we were getting ready to prep for this podcast, I told you, and I might have said it last week, that I really wanted to be Ariel when I was little. Mm-hmm. Like, so much so that I, my, I told my parents to stop calling me Rachel, mm-hmm. and I hated my name as a kid, Um mm-hmm. And I, I like, it's it's such a hard experience to like reflect back on because it was like, I knew I wasn't gonna be a mermaid. Like, yeah. I knew that wasn't gonna, like, how, how crazy to me that I could define that level of fantasy to, but I really do wanna meet a prince. Like, I don't know why I can't be a princess, mm-hmm. right? And, um, I mean, we were just talking about this the other day with somebody in terms of like being very feminine, right? Like for a lot of, for a lot of women, it's a kind of, if it's like one or the other, like you either really like to do hair and makeup and you're into that kind of thing, or you're very turned off from it. And part of it because you don't like the fact that those women are so feminine, but the other part of it is just because you don't have to be like, there's so many different levels of feminism, feminism of being feminine that, you know, you can do whatever you want, but for me, like. I know that I lived and breathed, like, wearing plastic heels when I was a kid. My mom used to buy me these early – I don't know if you – this might be too old for your time. <laughs> they were plastic fingernails. Yes, yes, I remember Like, the those. slide-ons, like, yes. rings. Yeah, so I wore those all the time. Like, I – oh, my gosh. I was such a girly girl. Um, But I know that it's partly for my mother, who was also very feminine, but it was watching that stuff. Okay. It was absolutely – like, that. that was going to be my life.
1: I agree, and I wish – there's so many things to consider with kids now and because because we as a generation have lived through it and now we can see how we ourselves and our peers have turned out because of the things we consumed with technology Mm -hmm. so now that we live in even in an even more technological time and Mm -hmm. screens are more readily available to our children it's they feel like we're being—we're all being helicopter parents, but yeah, right? yeah. we know the dangers of it. We lived through it. Our parents did what they could because they didn't know better. There wasn't enough, like, research or... Um, it was unprecedented. We knew exactly. It was just new and happening. Yes, yeah. unprecedented. So now we know, and so we have to... I feel like we as a generation are a little bit more... Um, Constringent or yeah. Yeah, we're just a little bit more concerned about what our children are consuming than what our parents were. But it's just because the times change because
0: we learned and that's yeah. what happens. Cause when you know better, you do know better. Yeah, like We said, so, so yeah. Um So yes, I think that like, I mean, I don't know really how else to go into this except for just to talk about my own experiences. Mm-hmm. Cause everybody's obviously going to be different, but I mean tying back into last week, right? Like we, we've talked countless times about, I know that my relationship with men was, heavily affected by my relationship with my dad. Mm-hmm. I know that, and I just am always so grateful that I caught that earlier in my 20s than most women ever probably do, or mm-hmm. people in general, you know. That. And that's the only experience, by the way, that I was ever able to recall that I was like, oh, you're like this because of that. Oh. That's it, that's it. Like, nothing else about eating, food, mm-hmm. none of it. So anyway, um, I had an aha moment the other day. Actually, like during a very intimate, close moment with Tony, I had an aha moment about like, my intimacy, like, mm-hmm. where it came from, and I, I've had this conversation repeatedly, like, the first serious boyfriend that I had, which was in the seventh grade, by the mm-hmm. way, okay, and it was, for me, it was real, like, I've, I've almost argued that, like, when, you know, like, people would say, oh, there's no way you were in love in seventh grade, and I was like, no, dude, I love this dude, I really loved this dude, and now, now knowing what I know, I can't necessarily say that it was love, love, mm-hmm. but, I know that that was the very first man. I mean, he might have been a man, dude. Yo, he was, like, Italian, so he went through puberty, like, early. He had a mustache. All right? It was real. It was real. But um, I I know that he was the first man to give me positive attention. Mm -hmm. Positive attention, like, on an intimate level. Because, obviously, I dated Brett, but that was just fun and goofy and silly, and we never even held hands. But this boy, like was the first person to ever make me feel a certain way about myself. And it's no no shocker to me that I was so heartbroken when we broke up. I literally thought we were going to get married. I, li- I mean, he told me, so I believed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was so silly. Like, why is this boy in 7th grade telling me we're going to get married? But I believed it. I totally believed it. And so he was the first boy I kissed. No. I know. Kind of weird. Talk about that. No. No. But... But yes, I mean, I was wrapped up in him. Like Let let let, let me take let me you guys to do a peek of Rachel's psyche. Because I remember f- having a fight with him one time in seventh grade. I don't even know what we were fighting about. But this is what I said, you guys. Oh, I'm so embarrassed to even say this. Oh, yeah? <laughs> well, I know that I like you more. Because how many times have we kissed? He's like, what? I was like, how many times have we kissed? He's like, you're keeping track of that? And I was like, well, no. <laughs> but I was. And I'm not even talking like it was like we'd kiss like three or four times. Like I would come home from hanging out and be like, we kissed in the kitchen and we kissed in the bedroom. Like I don't even, it was so, so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. But I know now that was, I was like counting my affection. I was putting it somewhere safe so I could tap into it when I was feeling needy or unloved or my dad was ignoring me or whatever. So that was, that was a dangerous relationship for me. Not in a sense in the moment, like I, I have zero regrets about the relationship, but it was a very, it was a very poor decision for my parents, one, to let me hang out with a boy by myself, mm-hmm. but, um, to set the pace for every relationship thereafter. Yeah. Every relationship. I, so unhealthy, so unhealthy, like fall too hard, too fast because that's where I saw my value a hundred percent of the time.
1: Well, my first, my, he was my first boyfriend and I I say now as an adult that I've that Brett was my first real relationship yeah because we were adults and did adult things like dating going out on actual dates but my first boyfriend was in elementary school I think I was in the fourth grade mm-hmm. and I I felt like I loved him like there's still like I still have feelings oh yeah I still think about this guy but it's it's now I recognize it's not the feelings for this person because who this person turned out to be like he literally. Like criminal record, just he's not a not good guy. But I miss the feelings he made me feel about myself. That's exactly what it is. Um, But he, <laughs> he was a, he was a year older than I was, so of course he was like, oh, he's a fifth grader, like he's like the king of elementary, like that's awesome. <laughs> he was very intru- like he was cute. He was a cute kid. He was he did not grow up to be cute, but he was a cute kid. And uh, my best friend at the time was a was in his grade t- as well. So I did everything that they told me to do. So I had my first example or, like, introduction to a dominant relationship. Like, I was submissive and he was dominant because right. he told me what we were going to do. But it wasn't like... It wasn't like, okay. Yeah. It was like, okay. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. me Every, too. Everything we did was consensual, 100%. Yes. There was, like, I never felt like he was forcing himself yep. upon or me. Or pressuring. Or pressuring. But I was so excited that an older boy was showing me attention and was showing me how to do certain things that we we definitely, like... We hit all the bases except for home run. Yeah. It, while I was in the fourth grade. Fourth grade. So... I don't know age, if y'all... Moms, people, yeah. children, did you hear that? Fourth grade. Fourth grade. And it wasn't, like, all at once. It definitely... Right. We dated But still, for fourth grade. Fourth grade. We dated for, like, two years because he had gone off to middle school. And, like, I remember, like, being so heartbroken that I couldn't see him in the hallways every day. <laughs> yeah. And unbeknownst to me, like, he, was, he didn't think we were actually dating and... Or, like, boyfriend-girlfriend at the time. So he was started making out with other girls in middle school and just wouldn't tell me but he would still come over to my house after school and hang out and make out with me and so typical boy typical boy it was a bad bad at first experience but i remember being my like he was my first with everything except for sex yeah so it it was it was exciting yeah
0: yeah i'm so glad we're talking about this i have so much shame Associated (laughs) with how young I was with everything
1: I did my mom and I had shame about lying to my mom or feeling like I was lying to my mom Because I felt like I was doing something dirty and I felt like I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing But to paint a little picture we had a covered sandbox in our backyard and it had like like four walls But they were wire walls, um, so you could see through them and they had like vines growing up them But then it had a roof so that the sand wouldn't get wet and it had a little door that you could, like, lock for, like, privacy, <laughs> but... In a sandbox. <laughs> but we would go out there and, like, hang out because the vines were just high enough on, one- on the side that faced the house that when my mom looked out the back door or the back window, she couldn't see us, like, laying on the ground in the sandbox, mm. so that's where we'd go to, like, hide and, like, make out and, like, do things, but my mom, I remember distinctively one time that my friend, her name was Elizabeth at the time, she, like, took me upstairs to my room, got me, like, all dressed and cute, and, like, put a little bit of makeup on me, and, like, we came outside, and I was wearing this skirt, and before my mom let us leave the back door, she literally was like, lift up your skirt. And I was like, what? And she was like, lift up your skirt, I need to make sure you're wearing underwear. And I was just like, mom, like, that's so, what, what are you talking about? And then, like, so I did, and then I walked out there, and then I was like, yeah, it's probably a good thing she did that, like, that she had that I- intuition, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, I definitely took my underwear off once we got into the sandbox, but yeah. then but then, like, I knew that what I was doing was wrong and dirty. The way she did that. Yeah. The way she did that in front of my friend. Yeah. So then, like, my friend knew that we were doing something that we shouldn't be doing. But it's just, we didn't. My mom did never talk to me about yeah, it. My same. mom. My mom was never blunt. Said. I don't want you going out into that sandbox with that boy Yep. or you shouldn't be doing these things. Yep. She just said, lift your skirt and let me see your underwear. Yeah.
0: That's a very similar experience. same boy, same boy. And I, I like one of my girlfriends and I were talking on the phone mm-hmm. about the stuff we were doing with boys and my dad listened through the floor in the basement. Oh really? And yeah. And and there was no conversation. It was just like, like when I got off the phone, I was grounded. Mm-hmm. Like you're not allowed to see him anymore. And I was like, what? Like I was embarrassed. Yeah, of course, but they still didn't talk to me about it. It was just like, shame on you for doing that thing. Um and So this is like, this is seriously like a wake up call. It needs to be a wake up call. If you are not having the hard conversations with your children, you need to. Um, And it's never too young to start. Never too young to start and just be age appropriate. Yes. Age appropriate. Like right now I tell my boys, like if Olivia says no or Olivia pushes you away or if you ask for a hug, you do not push it. And you don't make a big fuss about it like, oh, oh. I know it sounds stupid to some people. It might even sound silly, but... She's telling you no in the way she can tell you no. and you need to not only respect it as a, another human being, but validate that for her in her young age so that when she grows up, like this is almost sounds too far, okay. No, but like when I change no. her, but when I change her diaper at night, I have a little anxiety because she's asleep. and I don't I'm like, how do I like I don't want her to think that it's okay for somebody to take off her pants in the middle of the night? Like I know that's that's almost helicoptery but but she's sleeping how how do i subconsciously plant a seed that it's just mom i'm just changing your diaper if somebody ever does this to you and you feel uncomfortable you need to wake up and say no you know what i mean like but those that's it that's those are my parents never explained any of that stuff to me and again i don't think their parents did either and that's why the cycle has to break here Mm -hmm. and you have the power to do it and you just have to think about what like if it, it feels awkward that's okay it's about sex but How would you have felt if you had the knowledge at the time to make the right decisions? I still think I would have made out with boys, but at least I would have felt better about it and and like not shame. And then knowing I could have talked to my mom to manage the emotions behind it. And that's what I think is more important because, like you were saying, it's not going to stop. Like if no. your mom knew that you were making out with boys in the sandbox, that wouldn't have stopped. Like you would have found a park to do it in or whatever. Exactly. But having the conversation, I think you would have been like, I mean, especially like right now, like you best believe. Like I tell Olivia, like dude, if it feels good, you can do it. That's fine. But you, number one, it needs to be reciprocal and respective. Like you said, what do we say? Consenting and feels good. Nobody's getting hurt, right? Mm-hmm, yes. All that stuff, right? Uh, but at the same time, like you can also tell a boy, like, no, I'm good today. I'm good. Like I'm fine. I don't. I don't need another. We can just hang out and talk.
1: Exactly. All of that
0: needs to be relayed to children.
1: It does. And we are struggling with that with our our eight-year-old son, Mason, who he and his sister, I feel like they've they've always shared a bedroom or for the majority of their life they've shared a bedroom just because both households have lived in apartments or small houses, things like that, that they were kind of forced to share a bedroom. Right. So they've always kind of been growing up as... A unit, as a like not I don't want to say couple, but like they were always they're always together. They're always talked to about as 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 both of them, not as individuals. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like Mason often forgets that Aurora is younger than him and that Aurora he has to treat Aurora different than he treats himself or his older brother because she is a girl. And so at our house we are struggling with the it's it's okay to wrestle, it's okay to play like play fight, do all that stuff. But you cannot put your hands on your sister. You cannot slap her. You cannot pinch her butt. You cannot do, like, things that kids do. It's innocent. They're just playing around. They're just trying to get a rise out of each other. But we're constantly having that, you cannot do this to your sister. You cannot do this to girls. You cannot do this to women. It is not okay. Yeah. yeah. And we're having the conversation with her that, like, she, at some point in her five years of life, she accidentally kicked or touched someone, a male per- person in their penis or their balls And they reacted in a way that she thought was funny. Right. That was comical. Right. So now for a long time, she was trying to hit Brett in the crotch or like, she would like be jumping on the couch and try and jump on his lap to hurt him. And so it's trying to relay that those are like, that's your brother's private part. You cannot touch there. That's dad's private part. You cannot touch there. This is your private part. We cannot touch there. So we've gone even to the... To the fact at our house that we give her like a wet washcloth in the bathtub to wash up, and we tell her we'll wash everywhere else, but you have to wash your private area. Like mm-hmm. you have to wash your vagina, and she's really cute. She says vagina, but we call it a vagina. We don't just say oh, you're cooking your lady your, bits. Your, your lady or, bits. Like, yeah, clean your vagina, clean your butt, and then like I'll help you with your feet and your toes, and like you know making bath time fun. But it's that's your that is your private area. This is Dad's private area. It's gotten to the point where the kids were running into the bathroom when the other one was taking a shower to dump cold water on each other because they thought it was funny. But now it's to the point where we have the conversations that that's not appropriate. That You might make you, somebody uncomfortable. Yes. Mm-hmm. You have to give each other privacy. You cannot be in the bathroom at the same time. If you're brushing your teeth, that's fine. If you're going to the bathroom or in the shower, you cannot be in the bathroom when your brother is in there or when your sister is in there. And so it's just having those conversations and explaining why. Yeah. Yes. Explaining yes, why is important. Yes. Because you can't just tell a kid no. No. Because then they'll shame. feel shameful. <laughs> yes. They'll feel guilt. They won't understand It's wrong. It. They won't know how to process it.
0: So it's... And then they don't have nothing to navigate too. Exactly. Like, what do I do?
1: Exactly. So it's explain Saying no and being strict and being like, not harsh or like... oh just firm. Yeah. Firm. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Yep. Being firm and not letting them, okay, oh, just this one time. no. That is a boundary. You do not cross that boundary. This is why. You know, we have different body parts. We have private areas. This is private time. We need privacy. You need to respect your brother's privacy so that he respects your privacy. Yeah, And making sure that it's known that everything is equal. It's not just it's shameful for you to see your brother. It's no, like you both need to respect each other and you're growing bodies.
0: Yeah. And you're changing bodies. Yeah. I agree with that. And so like, and and I am always kind of curious and like Cole and I were alone for a while, you know, a a single parent. And, and I don't know, like, I mean, everybody's lines are going to be different. Like, but like, like I had to get used to shutting a door, like when I peed when Tony moved in, because I just never did it. And like Cole would come in and talk to me when I was in the bathroom. Um, For a long time, he never knocked when he came in my room, um, which didn't really bother me. Like even like as a plus size woman, like I was more more apt to not care so much about it. Like, and I'm not saying like I was walking around the house naked, but like if I was just changing for the day, yeah, because I wanted him to see other bodies, other like I like it still sticks out into my brain. One time when I was watching Cecilia, who's my niece, she was probably four or five at the time, and she was like, "Your body's so different than my mom's." And an old version of me would have, like, broke down crying. Right. But I just simply stated, that's right. All bodies are different. And, like, now, like, I have to tell Cole, like, okay, like, you need to start knocking. Like, I, I, I still, uh, it doesn't necessarily bother me anymore still. I mean, like, my body's different anyway. But I'm just, like, I just don't know what the cutoff is. Like, I don't think it's appropriate either for him just, like, walking in when I'm taking a bath or something like that. Right. But I also don't want to be like, nah, you know, it's such it's such a fine line. It'll be different for everybody. But why we're so, we're talking so heavily about your children and their experiences is because you got to think about the, how this translates into your adulthood, and it will yes. obviously translate into theirs. And you, I will always go back to saying it is all right for you want for you
1: to want your children to have good sex. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to have it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, my thing is is that. I want my children to be having safe sex. Mm-hmm. like my Good safe sex. Good safe sex. Good thing. safe sex. So Brett's stepson from his first marriage is 12, about to be 13. And I'm to the point where I was almost having sex at 13, yep. 14, 15. Yep. You know? I was so 15. It, so I, since I've only been in his life for a year and a half, I honestly don't know if he's had the sex talk. I, I don't feel it's my position because I'm not his biological parent. I'm not even technically his step-parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett is, but it's one of those... If he were to ever ask me for condoms, 100%, I would get them to him without any judgment. I think as being as a step-step parent, I would probably give him the condoms and then let his parents know, like a heads up, just be like, hey, I want you to know that your child's being sexually active, because as a parent, I would want to know those things. I also think that his mom would be a little bit more understanding and would, would have a similar reaction as, as would I. Like, I would not want to tell his parents if they were going to blow up at him or make it a big deal.
0: Yeah. That's where that's hard because they're
1: coming to you because they trust you for a reason. Yes. Yeah. I just feel that I know, I feel I know how she would react. I do. I, I assume based on the interaction that I've had with his biological dad, that his biological dad would freak the fuck out. Yeah. So I wouldn't approach him about it. But as a parent, I I would appreciate being told like, Hey, your child's sexually active, but I know that I'm not going to freak the fuck out. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I would just want it to be educational and being like, okay, as long as you know that if you're sexually active, you have run the risk of getting STIs, you can get somebody pregnant. Like, yeah, STIs that you don't know about. Exactly. You can spread STIs that you don't know you have. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that before you start, you become sexually active that we get you tested so that you know, because there are some that genetic like get passed from mother to child. Right. So it's important that you know what you're carrying before you start having potentially unprotected sex. It's important to know your options when it comes to sizes and brands of condoms or other, um, like, there's female condoms, things like that. Like there's I, material. Yes, because if your child has an allergic reaction to something, I don't want, I wouldn't want my child to think that, like, that was a higher power, like, punishing them for being sexually active. Being <laughs> I would want them to know that it's okay to come to me so we can get you medical Like, help and make Mm -hmm. sure that you're okay and it's not a permanent damage to anything. Yeah. But also know that I'm not going to freak out. Yeah. Like, it's, it's okay to want to explore in a safe, consensual environment. Yeah. But it's once the parent starts freaking out about it and telling you no... Then your child's going, to, not going to stop doing those things. They're just going to stop telling you about them. Exactly, that's the problem. I think is that we think and and
0: it's when you get into the parent role, it's almost like you forget what you were like as a, a child. Mm-hmm. But I, and again, everybody's experience is going to be different because, yes. like, maybe you grew up in a household where you had open conversations with your your parents, or maybe um, I always think back to like you know like religious households where a lot of people have certain ideas about how sex is supposed to happen and when it's supposed to happen. So you might not even. You know, they, they, they might not be doing it like with anybody you're talking about it, but they still need to have the conversations in my opinion. But I think that one of the perspective shifts that it was kind of important for me to detach from like what you were saying is like, they're still going to do it. That's the thing that you need to remember is that if you shift your perspective on what sex is, because I think that parents sometimes, number one, they're uncomfortable with the conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nobody ever had it with them. Number two, they might not be in a space where they're really evolved in their, their sex life. So they don't even know what to talk about. Um, But when you look at sex for what it is, biologically, it is to procreate, yep. that is its main. Not mean. It's the whole purpose of it. It's the whole purpose of it. So when tiny people come into hormones that are supposed to kick off what reproduction does, like we get into this headspace of like people, kids are stupid and whatever. No, they're responding to what their bodies are telling them to do evolutionarily speaking. When you were born, your body told you to stay alive by keeping you breathing and your heart beating and uh, babies, I don't know if you know, but when they're first born have the ability to breathe and swallow at the same time. And that disappears after time. Mm -hmm. So evolutionarily speaking, when it's time for you to learn how to crawl, you know how to crawl. You figure it out. Yes, your parents can teach you, but that's something you teach yourself. Mm -hmm. And so on and so forth. Your body will start to do the things it was supposed to do. It will start to break down and die as you get older. That's just a fact of life. And that is a hormonal response that is cellular level. So if you can just put yourself in a position that it's not behavioral necessarily, there's a lot of outside factors that play into that mm-hmm. but the initial thing that kicks all of that off is going to be the previous experiences they've had about sex and their ideas of it and their body's response to it yes. so if you can switch your brain off about that like I think that that's that's really important um there was this um really great book I was just listening to the other day and it talked basically about those different levels of where the brain is at in development as we talk really often about how Up until when you're two is when you're starting to form those memories. Mm -hmm. Well, that is when your brain is in this, this, this certain mode. And when it gets into the age ranges of two to seven, it's in this mode that's called theta. And theta is that place where kids, when they play and they imagine, for them it's real. For them it's real. And I think we forget how real those types of things are when we were in play mode when we were kids because then it's throughout that two to six time frame you know when we start we start being dream killers for children don't sing like that you sing too often you sing too loud your drawings I've seen you do better whatever it is that's when we start to kill that theta mode for children and then they get into alpha mode at seven which is what we become as humans and adults so um, in that sweet spot whatever they're imagining being princess Ariel whatever that is what they're forming those ideas and nobody ever told me I wasn't going to be a princess Nobody ever told me that wasn't going to be my lifestyle. Nobody ever told me like what the true expectations of being in a relationship and caring about people and what it really took for cooperation and compromise and communication. Nobody ever told me those things. So it's no surprise to me that I didn't know how to talk to a partner, that I didn't know how to relay what I liked, what I didn't like, what I was okay with, what I wanted to explore, what I had zero idea about because I didn't have any of those examples in my life. Mm-hmm. So it is so crucial, in my opinion, to really – I know it sounds crazy, but to take your emotion out of it, you have to take your emotion out of it for a half a second, because it doesn't matter how great you were in relationships, uh, necessarily. This is their own individual who has their influences and their own perceptions about what they saw growing up. So if you are not there to redirect and give them the course now, I always, this is, I know it's a small tangent, but that's always hard for me because it's like, I don't want to impose my thoughts and beliefs on my children. I want them to be able to be free to determine what that means for them. But how do you do that? Mm -hmm. How do you do... There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. My children are going to be a little bit like me because they live with me and they see my thoughts and values. But I try my best to... Like, if they ask me something, I give my opinion and I say, but you know, there's other ways you could think about this, like kind of come to your own beliefs and systems and like things like that. And I think that that's just personal development that comes along with that. So you have to make sure that you are always in a place where you're willing to grow and be open and understand that your way doesn't have to be the only way. And I think that's part of parenting that's difficult too, is because everybody that's parenting probably feels like, well, we all feel like we're winging
1: it at best, but <laughs> right. we also feel our way is the best way. Yeah. The most powerful change for me with Mason and Aurora, which has happened in the last couple of months, is when they ask me, like, how do you do this? I ask them, well, how do you, how would you do this? Yeah. How could you do it? How could you do it? What do you think is the next step? What would you do? Or when they ask me my opinion about something or they ask me why I think, why I think the sky is blue or why I think that guy is driving like that, whatever the question may be. I tell them my opinion and then I say, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And I ask them mm-hmm. and I let them know that it's okay to form your own opinion. Right. And I try, I, I don't believe that I do anything subconsciously to tell them that they're not or that they're wrong, but I try to make it okay. Like you can think that like that's a good, or that's a good point of view. Like that's a good opinion. That's a good that's a different. Option. That's a
0: different opinion. Yeah, exactly. That's all it has to be that
1: easy. Exactly. So yeah. just reinforcing that it's okay for them to think differently or to approach things differently.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I agree. So definitely
0: tap into whatever made you feel who you are today. Like for some of you listening to the podcast, you might not recognize, you know, feminine energy or masculine energy. You might be somewhere in between or all over the place. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just think that that's even almost more powerful because it's like you didn't have any set of rules to follow. And not I'm, I'm sure that was really painful growing up because not only did you not see yourself in any type of normalcy, but you kind of had to just wing it. Yeah. And in my opinion, people in that headspace are almost more fortunate than us white homeo. I almost said homeostasis. Uh, what's the word? Heterosexual, you know, um, very, very much in a category of identity that people can relate to Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Right. But somebody else who has this blank slate to start from, like you are almost in my opinion, more gifted because you get to create, Whatever it is that you want,
1: because they had to figure out who they were earlier and without life, any cues, without any cues, and they didn't have to unlearn the stereotypes that were forced upon them. I agree. So, I mean, yes, in a way, I think we are all forced at some point in life into a stereotype. So they might they might get forced into those stereotypes later in life, whereas they but they had time to figure out who they were before they, those stereotypes were forced upon them. Yeah, where I agree, like I myself, I was. blonde blue-eyed white female and i grew up very much and hetero and very much so grew up thinking like being treated like a princess like maybe not money-wise but attitude-wise and perception-wise in the world like that's that was the the narrative that was thrust upon me yeah And now, looking back at it, I do identify with some of those aspects in life. Like, I would love to live in a castle and (laughs) wear nice, pretty dresses. I like to have long, blonde hair. It's weird. I would like to have naturally just perfect everything. but And big, doughy eyes. (laughs) Um, But it's been rough for me, especially being an overweight female who does not fit the beauty standard. Beauty standard. Yeah. Beauty standard, but fits every other category of a typical quote-unquote disney princess yeah like it's been hard unlearning some of those stereotypes and figuring out who i am as an individual whether it's intimately in a relationship or just out in the world as myself i agree and
0: i think that i there was a lot of power in discovering happiness outside of the the thing i thought was going to make me happy Mm -hmm. even again as juvenile as singing on a rock to be a part of your world yes so Mm -hmm. um the 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 thing that I wanted to also mention is that we were talking about between, like, having that standard of, like, you're totally different from the rest, right? One of the really interesting things that I continue to kind of research and learn about is people that are not in heterosexual couples, uh, for instance, gay and lesbian sex, women especially. So I think it's in, like... For for heterosexual couples, it's like thirty percent of women report having an orgasm every time with their partner. Mm-hmm. Whereas in relationships with men who are gay, they tend to report higher numbers, like like it's like sixty or seventy percent of the time. But lesbian couples, it's like eighty five to ninety percent of the time. Yeah. And you know, the first time I heard that, like, or I, maybe I said it at a party or something. I just remember the conversation that people were kind of like almost jokingly, like ah, of course they know because they know each other's body parts. But that's not it. It's what it is is that they didn't have a script. We had so much views about what heterosexual relationships were supposed to look like and how that was supposed to play out in the bedroom. They had none of that. So it was almost, again, a gift that they were just like, It's literally, they just figured it out as they went along. They
1: took their time to figure it out.
0: Well, and I think that they decided they had to discover what they liked, whereas we were told. We were told that you will, this is how oral is, that this is how foreplay is, that this is what third and second base are or whatever, but they had to create all of that from scratch for themselves. And so it's no wonder that it results in higher pleasure because they're having the conversations, they're discovering the new things, they had to go outside the box to figure it out and you know, poor, in my opinion, poor hetero women do they just think that, you know, you just have to lay there and get it it's all taken care of. Well, of course sex isn't fun for you. Of course you're not having the best sex of your life right now. Come on.
1: Yeah, it's really Sad funny. Day. This is completely off topic, but it comp- it reminds me of a conversation that I had with somebody earlier today who reached out to me about starting her own photography business and her worrying exactly was, it's so much easier to to join a direct sales company because you just, you follow their business plan and you become successful, but starting your own business, there's so many different th- ways that you could go about it, and you don't know what's going to be successful, right. kind of thing. So it's, but it's to me, it's more passion because you're taking the time to figure out what what works and what doesn't work. So. I have, I have higher levels of passion and success with my photography business than I ever did in direct sales. Well, I like
0: that you said higher level of, uh, higher level of passion and it's like, it's higher level of success is right, but how, I yes, I think that's what I'm looking for because it's also higher level of achievement because you're the one that paved your own way. You're the one that figured it out. Um, so I think that definitely plays into it for sure is oh, yeah. like, I mean, if you like, if you are in a really great relationship now and you guys find out a new way to spice it up, aren't you like super excited that you do it for six months, straight? Right. It's the yeah. same philosophy. Oh yeah. Same philosophy. And that's part of it. Yo,
1: keeping it fresh. <laughs> Which so, we'll talk about in another podcast. Again, this is another example of how everything is cycl- cyclical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everything, Yay! Yeah, everything works together and, and you can take everything that we talk about in this podcast for relationships and apply it anywhere in your life. I agree. That's why everything is connected. Everything is. That's why it has to be
0: nice and strong in all the areas, in my opinion. And um, we'll, we'll talk about this, but if you're talking about cyclical, by the way, I am so effing glad I'm doing yoga. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. Y'all should be doing it, too. Pick some core workouts, a lot of core workouts. Um, Okay, so yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of actual conversation about sex today, but I think that's really important to note that, again, that's why... You can't come to Rachel's best be, best sex you ever had class if you can't get in touch with why you feel the way you feel about sex, why you feel the way you feel about intimacy, physical touch, about any level of intimacy I think is really important because gift giving is falls in line with that. Mm-hmm. Com- communication falls in line with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's a million things. I just... We're all little balls of energy out there connecting with one another in one way, shape, or form through verbal or nonverbal communication. So... Why not try to tune into it a little bit so it's the best experience? It just makes things flow better, I think. It does. Plus, people really like you when you get them and you can talk to them and you just listen to them.
1: And Yeah, because your connection is deeper and mm-hmm. it's more spiritual and all-encompassing and not just face value. Yeah, yeah,
0: I would agree with that. Like, I remember, like, this is a, a small, well, we're, we're getting towards the end anyway, but... It's like tantric sex, you know, like I remember hearing about that when I was really young and I was like, that just sounds almost bizarre. Like, so what are you saying? Like you just like stand in front of each other and you just, then something feels good. But as you get to know more about energy and vibration, it makes perfect sense because it's first and foremost, if you've never heard this, that sex doesn't have to result in orgasm to be successful, Mm -hmm. which is, I think part of, especially for the male perspective, that that's always what happens. But why would you, why would you not, like if you, if you... If, if making the cake was the best part about having the cake, you'd make the damn cake all day. You know what I mean? But the cake is definitely gonna be better if you take your sweet time. The cake's gonna be better if you're adding all the right ingredients, if you cook it at the right temperature, if you stick your toothpick at the end of it and nothing's on the bottom of it, you know? So all of that it plays into it. So tantra, I mean, that, that's another conversation for another day, but that's what it means to me is like, it's all of that hype and build up before. And dude, yeah, I guess if you can stand in front of your partner and feel the electricity, why wouldn't you? Okay. Why wouldn't you? Okay, so um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up our podcast today. So, yeah, just do some reflection. That's really hard because there's not a lot we can give you. Both of these podcasts, the first two that we've done, it's just a lot of your own personal reflection, journaling, uh, listen to some TED Talks, do some breathing, just try to remember some previous experiences, especially I think Jess did a really great job last week of talking about, like, if something happens and you're feeling uncomfortable, recognize it, recognize why it's making you feel that way and try to tie back. Now, um, I will just quickly add, by the way, this that book I was listening to about the Theta Brain and stuff like that. Um, I have meant to message you like immediately after you're the first person I thought of. There is not necessarily what I, oh, this is just a lot of permission. There's not necessarily a need to jump into talk therapy to discover what your triggers are and fix the issue. That's what this book said was like a lot of people feel that way. And that is one of my only hangups about talk therapy is that it's a lot of rehashing old shit Mm -hmm. all the time, um, which also forces you to relive it. But what this book talked about is that if you can get really in touch and tune with who you are and just be very passionate about the change in your life that you want, it's not really necessary to go back to the core of the memory. Like we think it is it's you already recognize the behavior. So why, why does it really matter where it came from? Why does it really matter who created it for you? If you know, you're ready to change it. And that's hard because I think that people have to work through trauma to get to that point. Like at some point, like, you know what I mean? Like once you've lived through your trauma and healed yourself Then the next time around, it is faster and easier to do, but then why not get to a level of expedition where it's like, no, I don't really need to do all that stuff. I know what I'm doing is wrong and not good for me and not healthy for me or I don't like it. So I'm just going to work to change it. So um, yeah, next level of personal development, I think. So don't stress if you're not there yet because it takes a lot of time and a lot of experience and a lot of repetition in solving your own problems. Woo! I'm a little out of breath, even. Uh, so make sure you tune in next week because we'll be on week three, where we'll be talking about the next steps that you probably want to uh, in implement in your life if you're trying to have the best best sex of it. And I just want to reiterate, it is National Masturbation Month, so make sure that the best person you're hanging out with is you. Okay? Uh, get to know yourself, give yourself a little bit of love um, on every level, physically and emotionally, so that you can show up and be the best partner ever to participate in the best sex ever. Okay? okay. Yeah. All right. So, one more
1: time, you want to tell them where to find you? Photoswithanderson.com or on Facebook and Boudoir Photos with Anderson on that private group on Facebook. hey
0: I I didn't even plug, like, all of my... It's okay. That's all right.
1: But... Instagram
0: vote for parties. I am gonna say it again. Check out my story where I misspell things. I'm doing yeah. better this week though. I put March 10th instead of May 10th the other day, so oh. I'm, I'm doing it too. It's fine. Yeah, well, well, nah. you got a ways you go to catch up to me, <laughs> yeah. but that's fine. All right, tune in tomorrow to the live for some free food. I like I said, think it's broccoli salad. Uh, beginner's guide to wellness, for safe space, uh, personal development and growth. Lots of ideas uh, and just sharing. Just share the crap out of your story. It just it gives it so much power anyway. You can follow me on a regular page if you want to uh, do a lot of fun stuff there too. And of course, the group for 18 years or older of Feminine Energy, we have a lot of sexual wellness and intimacy building online party happening next week, we were doing product of the week lately, and that's been a lot of fun as well. So just a good place to tune in and get some laughs going for sure. All right. Well, Anderson and I want to thank y'all very much for tuning in. If you got some value from this, of course, do not forget to share. Um, It's 100% free and it makes you pretty. Mm -hmm. And we'll be back next week. So enjoy the rest of your week. Stay happy, stay healthy, and wash your hands. Bye. Bye.